We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Episode here of Setting the Pace and joining me today, the one and only Michael Phelps Fachi Fachi. What's going on, brother? Hey, that might be the best one I've gotten. I mean, how are you gonna argue with the gold? I mean, look, that one is my favorite, but Phelps, hey, Olympic gold medalist, you can't complain about that. (laughs) No, you you can't, but we're gonna be doing our season goals, wrapping that up here with our shooting guards today. But before we get into that, um, Eurobasket is going on right now, and I thought it was important for us to kind of just touch on one of the bigger stories that came out on Sunday night. Uh, Fachi, our guy Gogo Batadze getting himself in the middle of things once again. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? And then go ahead and tell everybody what kind of happened. Sure. So Eurobasket 2022, there was a, I don't know if you want to call it a scuffle, more of an altercation, all right, over the weekend. So essentially Furkan Korkmaz, who, you know, better known as being on the 76ers, uh, this was he was playing for Turkey against uh, Georgia, and he got in a scuffle with I believe the the guy's name was Duda Sinaze uh, of Georgia, and you know there's an altercation there, whatever it is, he gets escorted off the court. Afterwards, three Georgian players attack him, one of which our very own Goga Bataze. Look, Alex, just not the way you want Goga in the news. Going into the biggest year of his career when we already have so many questions. So right over here, I mean, what, how does that make you feel about Goga and his stance with the Pacers right now? Well, I'll just say this because we don't really know what happened all the way. There's not been a lot of details with this. So I don't want to like have prejudgment on anything. I mean, uh, I think it's best for us to kind of just keep it cool here in terms of like, not knowing what happened fully before we give our full opinions on it. But 
according to the report that I read, it seemed like the Georgia police were involved as well in the attack. So I don't know if they were like, you know, I don't think anybody got hurt or anything like that. But what we do know is that Sanadze was uh, playing in the game and they both got ejected. There was two non uh, participants of that game from Georgia that were out, which because we know John Honger uh, quote tweeted a, a tweet that I saw and basically Goga went down with an ankle injury. So Goga is already hurt. And that was a bummer to me anyway, just to see him getting hurt because he was playing really well for Georgia. If you had been keeping up with the statistics and stuff like that. So he's out with an injury. The last thing he needs to be doing is getting into a scuffle. Now I understand when it comes to Eurobasket and playing for your country, it's a different, it's a different thing. Okay. These players are very loyal to their country. They're, they're trying to prove their brotherhood and all this kind of stuff. I don't know what the rivalry is like between Turkey and Georgia at all, Fachi. <laughs> so I don't either. It's one of those things where I'm very like ignorant on this entire rivalry relationship type thing. But all I know is that it became like a big headline all over social media. And for Goga to be involved with this, I think the other guy's name was uh, Torniki Shingila. Uh, he was involved with, uh, like you said, Sanadze. There's three of these guys going into the locker room to mess with Korkmaz, as well as the Georgia police. It just doesn't look good, Fonji. And especially for Goga, who's in an expiring contract, for him to be once again involved in an altercation, it, it just does not look good because Fonji, Goga has a history of kind of having a, a, a bad temper. He does. And the, the label, the quote in this article says it was like a street fight. There was no talk or conversation. Oh, Goga and a few others just came running up and attacking. And, and just, you know, you already talked about before you mentioned it, Goga's already hurt, which is something you don't want to hear going into the season. Then you hear this, but when you talk about him being a hothead, I mean, we've talked about, hey, the Pacers need a little bit more chippiness. Not from Goga, not from this. I mean, it's just like, that's not going to be the guy to set the tone. The way Goga's came across, it's more of immaturity. Yeah. I mean, we talked about offline, the headbutt on Gary Payton last year. I mean, he gets ejected. Last year, four technicals. You also got to factor in it's four technicals. He's playing limited minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's just he always got something to say. And then we also talked about it offline. The altercation with, with Greg Foster in the past, where he's saying, you know, sit the F down. I mean, all this. It's just like it always feels like there's this immaturity or this, you know, rashness coming off of Goga that it's just like, man, when you say he's only 23, well, yeah, it shows. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, for me, it's just like you're in the contract year with the Pacers. You know, you're on the outside looking into the rotation right now. You might be the 10th man if you're lucky in the rotation right now. I mean, you can make a case where he's not even the 10th man in the rotation. You can very much make that case. So it's one of those things where it's like, dude, I understand you're playing for Georgia, but you got to think long term. Like your career could be in jeopardy because of making a bad mistake, a bad decision. And is jumping a guy that's also in the NBA in Eurobasket really what you want to do? Because if I'm the Pacers, you know, and knowing the Pacers, they're pretty much no nonsense kind of people. Um, anytime they hear of people that have been in scuffles and that kind of thing, usually they don't keep them around on the roster very often. And, and we talked about it, and you said it, you said it great there, Fachi. We like someone with a, a, a chippiness to them. We want that on the court, but exactly. not not this, not going up to the guy and, and basically just having a street fight. I mean, that from what we're hearing wise, it does not look good for Goga. And honestly, like, I, I don't know if the Pacers will cut him or not. I think they could still keep him and let it ride out and kind of see what happens. But 
man, he's going to have a really short leash now coming back because I know the Pacers in their front office and especially ownership, they care about the image of their team and how players represent their franchise. And so to me, I know people are going to say, well, you can't be judging them and all that kind of stuff. I'm not judging Goga for what he did because I really don't know everything, just a little reporting. I'm just saying, based on how I know the Pacers handle things, I would be completely shocked um, if this doesn't impact him some way with the Pacers franchise. It's true, but here's the thing. Goga has not produced enough to have this just brush off his shoulders. And it's not to say that, hey, if you're a really good basketball player, you can get away with this. But it's just this is a guy that's already been struggling for a while. And you talked about maybe the 10th man at best. Sure, you're right. But there's also a big opportunity here because we're thin at center. I mean, yeah, we got Miles Turner right over there, but there's been trade rumors for years and years. So, you know, for Goga right over there, there's an opportunity there. Daniel Tice behind him doesn't seem like a threat. So it just feels like this is just him throwing away a really good opportunity in a contract year where you could solidify yourself in the NBA for years to come, or you could pack your own bags and find yourself going back to Georgia or Europe or any other place playing basketball there moving forward. So I just feel like he's got to see the bigger picture. And, and just the fact that he wasn't even involved in the game is like, did you really need to go out of your way? Because this isn't like a quick instance on the court where someone has someone else's back. It's, man, you're not even playing in this game. There had been something that happened either before the game or prior to this between Turkey and Georgia. That's the only thing that really makes sense to me for why they would immediately just go back there and start this scuffle after after the altercation took place on the court and both players were ejected. So what is interesting, though, is both those players do play in Europe, um, where obviously Batadze and Korkmaz play in the NBA. The Pacers play in Philadelphia on October 24th, Fadji. So not too far away from now, you know, the beginning of the season when the Pacers will be in Philadelphia. And, you know, we'll have to see if that does carry over at all. If there's any bad blood between those two, I'm sure there will be. But, man, I just... I, I don't like talking about this kind of stuff, really, to be honest with you, especially in Eurobasket. Like, this is not the time or place to be putting your name in the headlines for the wrong reasons. Like, if we were to come on here and talk about his injury and how big of a letdown that is, that would be one thing. But to sit here and talk about him being involved with two other guys for potentially, you know, jumping a guy. Uh, there's no pride team. in jumping a guy. I mean, a sucker punch, anything of the sort. I mean, there's just no pride in that. <laughs> this this literally sounds like a WWE storyline that I'm reading. And that's it, it does. That's why it's so like, is this even real? Like, I feel like I'm dreaming sometimes when I read this because it's like so childlike because that's what WWE, their storylines are, you know. And, you know, I, we both like the WWE. We're not trying to sit here and hope we don't. But we know it's scripted, right? So mm-hmm. that's the thing. Like, this is not scripted. This is like legit dudes do not like each other. So with that being said, you know, Goga, hope you figure it out. hope you don't get in too much trouble. Hopefully you weren't that involved with it. Um, but I thought the most interesting thing was that the Georgia police were attacking Cork Moss too. Like, that was a little bit surprising to me. Yeah, you know, maybe this does have layers of like, I don't know if like some serious comments were were made, you know, against Georgia or anything of the sort. But just one quick thing is, man, how far have we fallen in the beef department where a couple of years ago it was Jimmy Butler circling on the calendar when the Pacers were playing with T.J. Warren. And in 2022, we have Cork Maz versus Goga. 
I mean, come on. Like we are just fresh out of storylines here. And this is what we're left with. So it's just, man, it has been that quiet of an offseason for the Pacers. Uh, exactly, Fachi. So uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we will give our season goals for the shooting guards. We got Buddy Hill, Chris Duarte, and Benedict Matherin coming up. So this is going to be a really fun one to talk about those three players. Three are probably the most uh, top six players on the team right now. So we'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Fachi, let's start things off here. Season goals, Buddy Heald, what you got? So I'm going to go with, you know, look for the smarter play or shot. Don't be as much of a black hole at times. Like everybody knows Buddy can be very trigger happy, but just looking at something in specific, his 2.4 turnovers per game and 2.7 fouls per game in his 28 games as a pacer last year would be career highs for him. So when you think of doing a little bit too much, everybody remembers the dribble off of his foot against the Kings to lose us the game, which in fact probably helped us because, you know, we lost and ended up getting Benedict Matherin. But it just feels like at times, Buddy has just, you knew if you were going to give him the ball, you might not get it back. Yeah, Buddy's a trigger happy kind of guy, right? Um, that That's the thing with Buddy. It's like, you know, when, when you have him on the court, he's going to shoot the ball no matter what. So, yeah, I agree with you, Bachi. Being more of a versatile player would be huge mm-hmm. for him. Uh, one of my goals that I had for Buddy, which is something I actually had for Halliburton as well, but I think Buddy can do it, is become a 50-40-90 guy, Fachi. I mean, there's been times when he's been close. Um, I think probably shooting you know, 50% is going to be the toughest part for him. It will be. Uh, in this, he shot 48% one uh, half of a season with Sacramento. Uh, the closest to that was about 46% in 2018-2019, where he shot 42.3, uh, actually 42.7% from three. So he was really close. And then free throw-wise, he's always been really good. He was around 87% that year. So I think he's got it. The you know He's got that in him to do it. But I think it'll be interesting how he's utilized this year, because if he is a starter, Fachi, which is still a possibility, 
he's going to probably get less touches now that Matherin's there, Smith starting and Turner. So he's not going to be having the same amount of volume, I would say, with the Pacers unless they're really trying their best to to get him traded and get his stock up. But, you know, last year with the Pacers, he shot 55% from two Foch, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And field goal-wise, he only shot 45%, but still the two-point percentage was there. Three-point percentage is only 36% um, with the Pacers in that time. So I, I, I think that he's got the potential to do it, but I think it's going to probably have to come on less attempts, which I think might be the case if he's a starter. Oh, yeah. If he's going for 50, 40, 90, it's got to be less attempts. Otherwise, I could see like a 46, 40, 90. And I know there's no category for that, but it just shows that free throw wise, he's always right over there. He's just under 90. But three point wise, he's been over 40 before. It's just that 50% of the field is going to be tough. But hey, I'd love to see it with a reduced role. Very possible. Now, this one I got continue to improve as a rebounder. Mm. Buddy averaged 5.1 rebounds per game as a pacer in his 28 games last year. That would be good enough for a career high. Also had eight of those games where he had seven or more rebounds and quite a few of them where he had, you know, nine or above. So it showed that he was doing much more than just three point shooting as a pacer last year. So I'd be curious, was it a fluke or can he continue to do this? Yeah, buddy on the glass. I'd like to see that too. I think this team is going to need all the rebounds they can get next year. It's going to have to be a collective thing. And that's one of the things that we've talked about with other positions as well. It's just kind of frustrating when it always feels like the rebounding falls on the big guys. Mm-hmm. And then the guards and them are kind of like, you know, they're there, but they're not always aggressive in the rebounding categories. I feel like it makes more sense for your bigs to have more rebounds. No doubt about it. But I think, you know, the guards and the wings can be a little bit more, uh, you know, heavy on crashing to try and get some of those numbers up. So, for me, similar to you, I, I had another um, statistic I wanted to see Buddy improve on, and that was last year with Indiana. He averaged a career-high 4.8 assists per game, Fachi. Um, the closest he'd Still ever got. Still shocks me. I, I know. Um, you know, he talked about having the freedom to play a little bit more with Carlisle, so maybe that's something we'll see next uh, next season. But he said, but the closest he had ever got to that in his career was 3.6, Fachi, in 2020, 2021 with the Kings. So, um, you know, this season, I want to see him average around four assists per game. I think 4.8 over 82 games is going to be difficult for him to do because he only played, what, 26 games last year with the pace and like that. So, you know, it's one of those things where you could do that for a third of the season, but for a whole entirety of a season, it's going to be difficult. But I think if he can average four assists a game or more, I mean, that's going to be really impressive, I think, to not just – the Pacers and their fans, but for other teams that might be inquiring about him. Oh, big time. The 4.8 assist, it still surprises me to this day, but it was immediate when Buddy came over here. He was a playmaker. I think he had eight assists in his first game as a Pacer, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no <laughs> way this was happening in Sacramento. Like, I don't remember this being a part of his game. And when I looked further into it, it wasn't a part of his game. So maybe it's the new Buddy. I don't know, but I'm here for it because four assists does seem realistic. Pushing five does not. So I think you were pretty spot on with saying, hey, can we get four out of them? Now, for my last one, because you know I love bringing three to the table. And we know. Here's what we got. Speaking of three, here's what I got. And it goes against my first point, but it's lead the league in three-pointers made. Now, does it sound crazy? I don't know, because I'll tell you why it doesn't. Buddy finished second in the league in threes 
each of the last three years. Yeah. The guys ahead of him, Steph Curry each of the last two years, and then James Harden. Another interesting fact, since Buddy entered the league in 2016, he leads the NBA in three-pointers made at 1,269. He's one of the best three-point shooters that never gets talked about amongst the best three-point shooters. So while he leads the league in threes since 2016, he's never led the overall NBA in threes in a season. Yeah, that's an interesting stat, and I had seen that before where he is one of the you know th- top three for made three-pointers over the last couple of years. It's just crazy to think about that, Fachi, because it is. Uh, he's so good, man, and <laughs> at, at shooting threes, I oh, should yeah, say. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, yeah, I but it, he is a bucket from behind that line, and it's just like – Almost any time he catches it, you feel like he's going to make it. So, you know, I can understand why teams would be interested in him. I can see why the Pacers might even want to keep him around a little bit. Um, And a lot of fans have been really enamored by him and have been begging us to quit talking about the Westbrook trade. So, you know, I think it's just something to talk about while we're kind of in a dead period um, because it's still out there. It was rumored out there. But, you know, I think Buddy could add some nice shooting to whatever team he goes to. Any team. It's just the other stuff that they're going to have to worry about. So um, for the Pacers, that'd be great um, for him to lead the NBA in threes because I don't worry about the Pacers' offense at all, Fudge. I think their offense no, is going to be no pretty good. That's going to be just fine. Defense, that's yeah. a big question mark. But when you're talking about you know, a guy like Buddy, I mean, if you just start him, you have a chance to showcase him for a while. Yeah. He could end up looking really good for, say, 20 games or so, and then maybe, you know, maybe there's a big trade opportunity over there. I don't know if they really want to ride him out as a starter playing big time minutes to to the deadline, that feels like a long time, you know. But at the same point, there should be suitors for Buddy, and I strongly feel that you can get a first round pick for him. Yeah, I mean that's 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 an interesting debate. I I don't know if you're going to get a first for Buddy. Um, what year it is? How long is it protected? Yeah, I don't know. But I yeah. do think that you can. Is is there a scenario where you don't? Sure, maybe it's a young player a second round pick or so, but I do think that if you wait long enough, there's always going to be a team that needs shooting. So maybe yeah. an injury happens, you don't wish it on anyone, but right. there will be a need for Buddy Heald. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I've had some conversations with people like, what kind of first do you think Buddy's worth? And to me, it's like, you're probably looking at like top, I mean, it's got to be at least lottery protected, but oh, I can yeah, even see yeah. it being like top 18 protected. So could I. It, for, it's for it's, Buddy. It's a contender that would be trading for it. So that pick could be like, you know, it could be 28, it could be, you know, 25 to whatever, to 30, whatever it is in there. But at the same point, Pacers are stockpiling assets. They really are. Yeah. And Alex, we're going through the two guards today. This is our deepest position. No, it, it definitely is. And it's really interesting because some of these guys are going to be playing the three this year and mm-hmm. they might be playing the three multiple games in a row. But, um, because they're so interesting, I want to talk about them all together and how they can all kind of fit together, too, at the end of this conversation, Fachi. But real quick, uh, let's move over to Chris Duarte now. The, entering his sophomore season, had an up-and-down rookie year, multiple injuries, that kind of thing. But when he played, he looked really good, Fachi. So what's your first goal here for Chris Duarte? Well, how about when you said when he played? How about a goal from play 70-plus games? I know mm. it's out of your control, but here's the thing. He played 55 games, and – it, it was an up-and-down season, partly because of those injuries. And I feel like he showed the signs of not being able to adjust to an NBA season compared to a college season because you started to see him break down a bit. The shoulder injury, the toe injury, it felt like 
right after that shoulder injury, it really kind of felt like he wasn't the same because he started out the season really hot and it just felt like that jumper started to struggle a bit. So from everything I've seen this offseason, he looks to be in really good shape. And I feel like he can now withstand maybe some of the bumps of, of an overall, you know, NBA season. I, what alarmed me a little bit, Pacer said that in summer league, he was still experiencing some of the that toe issue right over there, but he only played one game. So you got to think that, and then he did play for, you know, um, you know, for what? Uh, the Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic. I didn't want to give the wrong country out there. Um, but overall, if he's good enough to play, well, you know, well over there, and he did look good. You got to yeah, think he's that he's going to well. be. Exactly. Got to think he's ready for the NBA season. Yeah, there's been some highlights going around of, of him playing in Eurobasket. Man, he's looked really good. So um doesn't seem to be having any issue there. I think he did dye his hair blonde again a little bit, Fachi. So he did. He did. Uh, if you didn't recognize him, that might be why. It's a little bit brighter blonde this time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. The fact that after week one, he was at number one for rookie of the year oh, candidate. Yeah. He was top Nobody... three for a large chunk of the season. Yeah, no, nobody will forget that moment when we just kept seeing Chris Duarte's name up there for like projected like top rookie. It was just like, was wow, amazing. this is this is insane, man. Yeah, you know, I'm sure the Pacers front office was feeling pretty good about that, um, especially dropping 27 in that first game. I mean, I, I, mean I, talk, I talk about that all the time with him, but it's just like, what a what a moment, man! What an impression to put on a fan base to drop 27 in your first game. Like I was on vacation in Orlando. Uh, me and you recorded a podcast. Mm-hmm. Had to. Uh, then it then it didn't even say we had to re-record the pod after it was a hot mess, but we got through it. I just will never forget Chris Duarte's debut. But for me, I'm gonna give my first goal here, Fachi. I want him to embrace whatever role is given to him and thrive in it. Look, um, if he's a starter, he'll have a less of an offensive role, but he can still be a massive help if he's coming off the bench. He might just be the sixth man, which will open up a ton of opportunities for him to showcase his full game. So this is one of those things where it's like he talked about it last year. He likes being a starter. He didn't like coming off the bench as much. He's not used to it. But if the Pacers envision him long-term as that sixth man, then I would prefer them to start Buddy, bring Duarte off the bench, and let him get comfortable in that role. We've talked about this quite a bit. Um, I still want to see him play a ton of minutes with the young core. That doesn't matter to me um, whether he starts or doesn't. Um, But, you know, I I think you can make the case that Buddy Hield starts over him just because he started last year. But I just think Duarte has got to be able to accept whatever role is given to him and just thrive in it because he's going to be asked to do different things based on whatever role he's asked to play as a starter or the sixth man. So I just want him to, like, figure it out and then just – I think he's got the capability to either be a great – you know, fourth or fifth option as the starter or a great first option off the bench. Yeah, that's the thing is we really don't know. We don't have any clarity on that. I don't want to see him get buried in that starting unit, but he really could excel as a sixth man in this league. I I truly think he can. Kind of brings me into my next goal, and that's be amongst the closing five. And right over there, the reason why I say that is because go across the list of current Pacer players. In my opinion, Duarte was the clutchest last year, and he did it as a rookie. A ton of buzzer beaters, just a ton. Think about it. Game three of last season, they go to Duarte trying to hit that the game winner against Miami before overtime. It just right early on, you're talking game three, they're looking at him for the win. Countless buzzer beaters to end quarters. Got robbed of the four-point play against the Lakers to oh, win yeah. it. 
This man has big shot potential, and that does not grow on trees. So I feel like if Duarte can be in that five to end the games, that's a great spot to be. That's where you want to be. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons he's going to be closing games too, Fachi, or being that closing lineup, defensively, he's one of their better wing mm -hmm. defenders. Yep. He showcased it last year. People are like all mailbag season long last year for the podcast. People are like, why do you guys want to guard like Jaden Ivey? Because it's going to interfere with what Duarte does and who he can guard. It's like we talked about it last year. There was times when Duarte was guarding threes yep. throughout the season. Jimmy Butler, one of them. So, look, I think we overthink positions sometimes. Duarte is a capable defender to guard ones, twos, and threes because we even saw him at times because Brogdon's a little bit slow-footed guarding some of those quicker ones out there like the Trey Youngs, even if he was – you know, not having a super impactful defensive moment on him, he was the best option they had. So I think that and, and Carlisle trusting him already as a rookie, for, you know, both for offense and defense makes you realize, okay, this prize, this guy's probably going to be in closing lineups unless the other wings out there are just hot that game for whatever reason. But uh, my final point for Duarte, or my final goal, I should say, is add some of the mid-range that he loves so much into his overall game, Fachi. I know he brought it up. He said Carlisle calls the mid-range jail. We've all heard this. Mm -hmm. But I would love to see him get the opportunity to add that part of his game into the mix of what he does. Because if he's going to be that sixth man, I'm telling you what, Fachi, this team has a lot of shooters on it, and they don't have a lot of low post threats. I think the mid-range is going to be a little bit more open this year than people realize. So I think Duarte, he needs to just be able to feel free to not just shoot the threes as often as he does, but also have the leverage to shoot that mid-range because we saw at times, you know, he would kind of like get into like the baseline uh, mid-range area sometimes and shoot some fadeaways and then go in. We're like, how is he hitting these? But that is where he prefers to play. And I just feel like if you're a coach, no matter what your system is, if you have a guy that is really good in a certain spot, don't take that away from him because you want them to shoot threes. No matter what your system and scheme is, I think there should be, you know, room for changing things up a little bit and allowing for some, you know, um, you know, you, you should give guys a break, I should say, that deserve a break in terms of allowing them to do what they're good at instead of penalizing them because that's not how you want to play your offense. Yeah, Duarte definitely has that in him. And I think that next year is a great opportunity to experiment with some of these, you know, mid-range shots, because I feel like there's going to be a lot of games the Pacers might be trailing in, and it's, hey, you really got nothing to lose. Let's run with it. It's not going to be like a couple of years ago where the Pacers led the league in, like, longest twos. Like, I think it was from, like, 18 feet to just inside the three-point line. We were leading the league in, in most shot attempts right over there. But I think there are a lot of, you know, 15-footers or so that Duarte can nail, and he's got that in his bag. He really does. So, and as it relates to shooting, I just think that, Duarte is one of the more slept-on shooters we have, which brings me into my final goal, shoot close to 40% from three. We know this man can snipe, but when we had Terry Taylor on here, said Halliburton could be our best shooter, all right? Some could say, buddy, I might lean Duarte. I might. Duarte yeah. shot 39% from three in October, and he had a shoulder injury, slows down a little bit. Alex, he shot 47% from three from February 2nd, to the last game he played on March 15th. He has the capability to be a marksman in this league. 
And I think that last year he shot 37% from three as a rookie. I think he could push 40%. No, I think he can, Fachi. What he's 37% last year as a rookie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Very similar numbers to Ray Allen. We did an entire podcast. Um, I did that with my friends David and Carson. Did an entire podcast where we just looked at players who had similar statistics in their rookie season. Um, wasn't trying to base it off of anything more so than just looking at players that had similar shooting splits and uh, you know uh, points per game numbers. And that's one of those things. It's like I'm not saying it's going to be Ray Allen. Don't get me wrong, but you know Ray Allen had a lot more athleticism in him. But and he was a little bit younger, but. We know Ray Allen could shoot the ball from three, one of the greatest of all time. And I think Duarte's stroke, it's one of the greatest I've seen it's in a long time on the Pacers. So, you know, you're right, Fachi. 40% from three would definitely be something he can do. Um, I think it would be more realistic for him to do that if he is the fifth starter on less attempts. Yeah. If he's the focal point of the offense as a bench player, um, be tough. it's going to be tougher, but he'll be going against weaker opponents as well so you gotta you gotta look at both sides here but i think it's interesting 5g for sure so let's move over to the rookie benedict matherin 5g what's your first goal for ben continue to improve as a scorer for instance i shared this stat a while ago maybe maybe a couple months ago but as it relates to his isolation game matherin outscored his isolation production in summer league from all of his his uh, sophomore year of college so essentially, he had only had 37 isolation plays drawn up for him last season in college. And in summer league, in just three games, he scored two more baskets in isolation scenarios. So it shows that there is more layers to his game. So I want to see him experiment with stuff that maybe he didn't get to do in college. And I think that as a scorer, we know he's very talented. But I, th- I really think he's just scratching the surface on what he can be. Yeah, the potential is just there for for Mather, and there's no doubt about it. I think he's a guy that's going to be really fun to watch this year. Vachi, he might be the most entertaining player to watch this season just because we kind of want to see, does he take those steps to prove that he can be that number one, number two, number three option on a on a team that's really trying to grow here? And we know this is Halliburton's team, so definitely think he doesn't have as much to, to worry on. But, you know, I, I really am excited for his potential. And finally, Vachi, I'm going to get into it here, uh, defense. <laughs> one of our one of our goals we haven't brought up for any of the other players is defense. So with Mather, and I said, be willing to take on the toughest defensive assignment so he can develop good defensive tendencies for the future. I understand as a rookie, we talked about it with Duarte, going up against some of these better players, it's only going to make you better. And you know that just from personal experience. When you're playing with guys at your level, um, it's a little bit easier to dominate if you're better than them. But if you're playing up against guys that are probably better than you, you know, proven NBA careers, if you're going up against them, it's only going to make you better. Iron iron sharpens iron. I want him to fail and learn from his failures and get better defensively so that way we don't have to go back and talk about, oh, well, he had mental lapses here all throughout the year. No, I want to see him be a terrific on-ball defender in his career. I think now is the perfect time to throw him into that opportunity because they've talked about it They all, already. They want this year to be a year of development, and that is something he's going to have to work on, is being a more consistent defender than what he was in Arizona. And I think by assigning him some of the tougher matchups, especially if he's starting next to the heel, he's going to have to do it. He's going to have to really just embrace this that side of the ball 
And I think he's got the energy and the tools to do it, though. He does, and he's got the size to do it also. I got a couple stats to back up your statement. Look, at six foot seven, Matherin had just 12 shots blocked in his two years at Arizona. Two as a freshman, 10 as a sophomore, just 54 steals total in those two years. That is not enough. It's going to take, you know, offensively, look, I think he can impact the game. Defensively, there's there's a lot of room to grow, and I think that this is the year to be able to do that. So I think to back up your statement, you know, just having your, your steals and blocks be at least similar, if not better, than your turnovers per game. So I think he's got a long way to go over there, but that's just to back up your statement. For one of my goals, it's going to be, and there's no way to really track this, it's just continue to be very active off the ball. Yeah. And look, Hal Burton's going to have the ball in his hand, and that is where you want the ball to be. But from everything I was reading, Matherin was described as incredibly active with a high motor, always moving or cutting, making him a headache for opposing defenses. I think that Matherin can do a lot that will never show up on a box score, but will get him better looks, will get you know uh, Tyrese Halliburton just more you know smarter plays, smarter passes in there. And I think it's going to be able to get easier buckets for the Pacers. And that's something that he can control. Yeah, no, there, that's a great point. I mean, we saw a little bit of those flashes in summer league, not enough because he didn't play a ton, but uh, what we did see, it's like, okay, this guy can move out the basketball. And that's one mm-hmm. thing you really like about his game. Um, and it's only going to be opened up even more, like you said, with Halliburton. So I'm excited for that aspect of it as well. And I think it might actually help him become a better rebounder, which I don't know if that's one of your things, but um, I don't want to steal that from you. I don't want to get into it too much. It's not. Mm -mm. Okay. So that's what I was going to say too. Like we saw in summer league, like we had a really nice um, offensive rebound where he slammed it. I I think he's got that athleticism where like (laughs) he's going to be really tough to guard in the NBA. I feel like because he can shoot the ball from three, but he's also so athletic that he can get above the rim. So, you know, it's like basically like he's not the level of shooter that Reggie Miller is. I'm not saying that, but imagine, right? Imagine, imagine chasing a shooter around like Reggie with Matherin out there, and then all of a sudden he just stops on a dime and gets you for a backdoor alley oop. Like he's got that in him, right? Um, and playing alongside Duarte and Buddy Heald, two lights out shooters as well. Like you can't play off your man and leave one of those guys open. So. That's going to create more opportunities. So, yeah, anyway, I'm getting excited thinking about him playing off Paul Fauci. Sorry. Me too. Um, I'll, uh, I'll get to my last goal here, and I'm going back to Summer League. His last game against the Pistons in Summer League, we all know he had 10 free throw attempts. Me and you talked about it at nauseum after Summer League because we were just so impressed that a rookie had 10 free throw attempts. Like, we're not used to seeing guys get to the foul line, but we know that Matherin has the game and the build to become a player that gets to the free throw line. So look, I understand as a rookie, it's going to be very difficult to get the respect that he deserves in the league right away. Number one, we're going to be a bad team. It's Indiana, small market. And he's kind of a no name because he wasn't a top five pick. And so he probably doesn't get the love that he deserves, but he's got the skill set, Fachi to get to the foul line. And I'm hoping that, you know, eventually we will start seeing a higher free throw attempt number from him throughout his career but for next year i just want to see him do it as often as possible and that is something i think he can do um he might not always have the ball in his hands to get those opportunities like he was in summer league because he was the guy there but i still think like you talked about with the off-ball movement 
with his shooting, his pump fake ability to get to the basket. Those little things right there, that is going to open up more doors for him and opportunities for him to try and attack the basket to get to the foul line. Oh, for years, we've been begging for a guy to get to the line, and I do think that Matherin has what it takes, a deep enough bag. It's going to take some time, just like you mentioned. It won't be as a rookie, and it won't be 10 free throw times per game. I mean, that's like James Harden numbers, but I think he has the ability to be able to get to the line you know, six times a game, maybe not as a rookie, but it will happen, and for that, it's just that skill set that he's got. I think he can score from all different places of the court that it's going to pay off that the athletic ability. This man will get to the line. And I can't wait for that because in years past, we have not been able to say that for anyone. I mean, I just looked it up. Sabonis last year as a pacer averaged five and a half free throws per game. That's a guy living in the paint, battling for rebounds. It's just like, you know, Matherin has the capability to, you know, really just put the pressure on the defense from all different spots of the court. So, can't wait for that. But for my last point, Alex, I went out to the tool shed and I grabbed the shovel oh, and God. I started digging and I started digging. And I thought to myself, when was the last time a Pacer made the all-rookie first team? And I was mm. puzzled. I went, wait, no, no. No, it wasn't Granger. No, it wasn't Serena's. Yes, can I guess? You can guess. What do you got? Have we ever had one? Yes, we have. Okay. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna follow it up with this. Okay. Not in our lifetime. All right. Is so it Rick Smith? It's Rick Smith in 1989. All right. Matherin, sixth overall pick. He has such a high potential, a ceiling right over there. Uh, there was five players that went ahead of him. Well, unfortunately, Chet Holmgren, he's gonna miss the year. And you know those rookie first teams, they're not based on position. It's the five best players. So I think that Matherin has that capability to be on the all-rookie first team. And while that is a very personal goal, I think it's one that he could really achieve. And this would be something that we could hang our hat on saying, hey, this is the first time in our lifetime we've seen a Pacer do that. And I think that would be something special. Yeah, I mean, I think the window of opportunities did open now with Chet Holmgren going down as well, Flashy. It did. It did. Um, he's going to be a top five draft pick that's playing in this year's uh, NBA regular season, mm -hmm. of, of course, hoping that he doesn't get injured. That is obviously something that could, you know, deter him from getting that opportunity. I think that's, you know, almost kept Chris Duarte off the second team last year. He was only playing 50-some games. So He would have been tragic if he got robbed of that. Yeah, it would have been close. I think a lot of voters get some recency bias, too. Mm -hmm. When these guys are playing, like, come on late, like Jalen Green, like, I'm, I'm not trying to discredit Jalen Green at all, but it was just like, he wasn't very good for like the first half of the season, but the second half of the rough. season, he started clicking. I, I think they started giving him more opportunities. They were losing a lot more games as well, and he started putting up some big numbers. And obviously, we all remember the Bill Simmons podcast kind of going off, and he was saying it jokingly. Everybody took it and blew it out of context. That's what we do when we don't have anything else to do but get mad about something. The moment somebody says something we don't like, we try to rile it up and make it bigger than what it needs to be. But you're right, Fachi. Ben Matherin getting an opportunity to be on the all-rookie first team would be stellar for the Pacers. I would be really excited for that to happen. So, yeah, I think that's a great goal, Fachi, and I, I think he's got the, the skill set and the potential to do it. He really does. It's something that I think in a, in a lost season, and, and guys, I know there's still some people who think the Pacers will be better than we think they are. Look, I'm not trying to split hairs here and say either we're at 25 or 28 wins, whatever it is. It's not going to be a playoff year, but if we can get someone like – 
Benedict Mathurin, all rookie first team to say that we have a real one here. I, I think that that would be something special. So for, for Mathurin, I mean, he has, I would say the most potential coming into a season out of a rookie that you know we've probably seen in our time. I know there's been guys like Jonathan Bender who had a, a ton of potential, but it didn't work out. And, and there's other guys that, yeah, Paul George looked really talented player, but it wasn't expected in year one. Hey, this guy's going to, you know, get the keys. I mean, he was barely even playing in the beginning with Jim O'Brien. So I feel like Matherin has that realistic shot for this, and that would be a fun thing to see. Man, Jim O'Brien, what a way to end the podcast. I know. We were on a high note, too. We were, man. But (laughs) I started getting all my feelings. I really did. Yeah. highs and lows. Let me ask you this. Do you think there's any chance that Andrew Andrew Nimhart could make the second team? It would be cool, but uh, I don't know if I'll have the playing time. That's a good point. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily see it with him, but we saw some second rounders last year get some love, yeah. like oh, Herb yeah. Jones and um, some other players. Mm-hmm. So you never know. I mean, if if for some reason McConnell gets hurt and, and Nimhart steps up, I mean, the nice thing though, Fachi, about the rookie stuff is they don't really penalize you if your team's bad. So yes, exactly, uh, a that lot of other true. rewards do get penalized for that, like most improved and that kind of thing. But with the rookies, I mean, you're expected to be bad because the best rookies go to the worst teams in the NBA. So that that definitely is an interesting thing there, Fachi. So, man, I thought this was a really fun episode. I hope everybody really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, that does wrap up our series here on the season goals. I thought these were really fun, Fachi, to do. And it kind of gave me some uh, – shed some light on what some of these players struggled with last year and what they're really good at. No, I think that was the fun part, was really diving into where are the weaknesses. With, exactly, that's what I do. That is, on this episode, I'm diving, all right? So when looking into the weaknesses, it, it helped me understand, hey, really, like, this is where I want to see this guy improve upon this year and more very specific stuff that I'll be looking into. So, hey, anytime we can get take a deeper dive, dive again, uh, into these players like that, it makes me just have a better overall understanding for their game especially rookies we're talking about Andrew Nemhart, Benedict Matherin or or maybe some guys in year two like Chris Duarte but also when you talked about how you can still win these awards on a losing team there was this one quick moment where I went for Buddy Hill is like man what if we bring him off the bench and he could be in the sixth man of the year contending award and I was like there's no way they're going to reward a sixth man of the year on like a, a low low win team because at that point why wouldn't we just start a guy who's playing that good off the bench so yeah. it, it, I just I had to flip over the imaginary you know pencil, start racing. Yeah, Fachi, I, I I think that's a good point there. And obviously, no offense to Buddy, but being on a losing pace team is not going to help his case. It's now, Fachi, I will say this: it's a tough week for you, man. West Virginia falls to Pittsburgh, brutal by seven. You know, unranked West Virginia hung with them as long as they could. Fourth quarter comeback, right? Uh, by Pitt, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I was in the building. Most watched ESPN Thursday college football game since 2017. How you doing? Well, that many people got to watch your team suffer. Yes, yes, they did. They did. Actually, I did. A funny story real quick. Yeah. Uh, me and my college friends were so hurt by this <laughs> loss that we stayed in the seat so long to the lady that was cleaning the stadium literally said, the game's over. You guys got to go. Come on, leave. Get out of here. And we were just – we were that like – no one said a word for like 30 minutes until we got booted out of the stadium. Oh, that's hilarious. You know what's uh, funny is I didn't even realize the game was on Thursday. I wasn't even paying attention to college football at the time. I had a fantasy draft that night. 
I did a podcast with Rhett, and I opened up on the on the intro to that show saying we're rooting for for Pittsburgh to, be, to meet you. Sick. You're sick. I said we all like when Vachi's in misery. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, yes, misery hey, it was. But hey, I felt your misery tonight. I turned on the Cardinals Nationals game. Uh, cards got beat six to nothing, and I saw that you were at the Mets Nationals game with mm. your wife, and your wife is a big Nationals fan, yes, and uh, saw you took that loss as well, Fudge. Oh, that was a hard one. I mean, literally, this what, the Mets let up like six runs in the eighth, and I was like, all right, let's go home, beat some traffic, and she would not let me leave the stadium. <laughs> the point where I was like, let's get out of here. This is done. And she's like, no, I'm going to make you suffer through this. So, yeah, That's we suffered through it. Probably went home about an hour later than we could have, but – uh you know, at the same point, man, I went to the ballpark, went to the, you know, got on a plane, you know, saw the, the Mountaineers, and they both served up some L's for me. Man, Fodge. Well, hopefully the Pacers do that this year so we can get <laughs> our Victor Wimanyama or whoever hopefully. we end up drafting. But with that being said, Fachi, tell the people where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you could find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You could find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. <laughs> Man, for a guy that's tired, you're jacked up tonight, Fodge. I am. Uh, you can find us on YouTube at Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. My interview with Michael Scotto is available on there. Fodge wasn't able to join for that one because he was, like you said, traveling all over the place, watching sporting events while I was at home doing nothing. So Michael Scotto and I had a nice conversation there, but... As I said on Twitter today, on this Labor Day, please, ladies and gentlemen, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. We're going to have some really cool content coming up here in the next month or so. Uh, obviously, October is when the season starts. We're going to be having some exclusive YouTube content that won't be on the podcast. So if you're a big podcast listener, you're going to want to check all this stuff out. Different guests, different uh, segments, different things that we might not always bring up is going to be on YouTube because we want to grow that YouTube channel for all of our listeners over there. But with that being said, Fachi, if you're excited to watch Benedict Mather, Chris Duarte, and Buddy Heald in a Pacers uniform this year, then say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. Mm-hmm.